dinosaurs. Hey, you like Pez? It looks like that has Heaney from the boundary line. He's an expert at these. Hello and welcome to Behind the Boundary Podcast. I'm your host, Pez. I'm here with Source. We have a grand final on our hands in a couple of weeks' time. We have Melbourne taking on the Western Bulldogs. And uh, we had two preliminary finals that didn't live up to the standards. They were absolute smashing Source. Yeah, hey, Pez. You're right. The, the actual games didn't live up to the standards, uh, Pez. But it does make for exciting grand final, I guess, fortnight because we are having the week off. And because Melbourne, I've not seen a team play that sort of football where they just were so controlling of the game and they were elite. And the same with the Western Bulldogs. They made two teams that finished both in the top four seem second rate and they looked elite and and you know they're one of those sayings that you see Pez is I don't think anyone would have beaten uh, those teams on that night the way that they both played well it, it looks like that and we're going to get into a, the in-depth uh, analysis of it and have a look at what happened and why but um, I, I still can't believe that uh, two clubs in Geelong and Port Adelaide were able to be beaten by 70 plus and then 80 plus uh, Geelong by Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs, which was uh, surprising for a lot of people. I know Port Adelaide uh, were heavy, heavy favourites going into the weekend. A lot of people in their finals tipping competition tipped uh, Port Adelaide. Uh, Melbourne, not so much a surprise to win against the Cats there, but a big surprise uh, that it was an 80-point blowout. I know that prelim finals can usually, you know, come at at a blowout cost, but... uh, but Pez, this was this was totally different. This one, this wasn't one of those games that sort of slipped away in the last quarter. Melbourne, I mean, if we're going to get straight into talking about the games, Melbourne didn't let Geelong into that game at all. They they didn't allow Geelong to have any possession. They completely, um, you know, smothered everything, and they they really made Geelong uh, work for every every pill that they got, and they 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 they, they forced them to make a lot of turnovers. But as I said, it it looked like they were running a training drill at times, and. You know, a lot of people were surprised, obviously, in the fashion that both teams destroyed their opposition. But realistically, these have been the top two teams all year. All year, they've been the two top teams, whether we believed in them and whether they've seen it. And they've spent most majority of the, the season in the top four, in the top two spots. And it's going to be good for the first time in a long time, Pez, to see the top two teams for most of the year in a grand final. Yeah, it's a very strange top two side it if is. you're going to say it's the top two. Because the Bulldogs did slip uh, all the way to fifth, have an easy week in that first week against Essendon and then continue to to go from there and uh, be really impressive. We know the Brisbane Lions game could have gone either way and Charlie Cameron had a, had a chance there at the end and there was lots of things that happened in that game. Um, but you have to wonder, would Brisbane do a similar thing to Port Adelaide on that night? Were they just overawed by whatever it was? But um, we might start by just reviewing the two games. You started by talking about Melbourne and Geelong and that one happened first source. Uh, the Cats... Losing by 83 points, an absolute demolition after Jeremy Cameron snapped the first goal, got up and about, and then Melbourne just kicked five goals in a row in that first quarter to have a healthy lead at quarter time, and then they just didn't let up. Yeah, Pez, it was uh, really disappointing for, 
for football fans, I think, because I think whilst, uh, you know, Melbourne and their, their sort of coming out party and, and a massive prelim final, no one wants to see, uh, you know, a, a team lose by 83 points in a prelim because you expect a lot more from that. So the final score is 125 to 42, but you're right. It all started in that first quarter and Melbourne came out of the blocks firing. Even though Jeremy Cameron scored that first goal, it looked like Melbourne were going to dominate. They had three or four of the, the first couple of entries and then Geelong sort of snuck through and they had one forward entry. They got a goal and you're like, yep, they just need the settler. And then Melbourne absolutely took control, led from the front pairs by their their amazing midfield. And you can't even pick them apart. I know everyone was going nuts about Max Gorn's performance, but Max Gorn, Petrarca and Oliver, they were absolutely dominant. Three of the best players on the ground. You can probably add in Jake Lever across the half-back line, who was uh, instrumental in their setup and, and how they went forward. And then just all the pressure acts from all those other players up forward, like uh, Charlie Spargo, who went up and kicked a few. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. We had Stephen May uh, have a slight hamstring uh, twinge, I guess it was, in the first quarter. Came out, played out the second quarter, and then got subbed out. And uh, he'd be happy that there's uh, two weeks off as well. Yeah, he definitely would be, Pez. It was, um, it was just such a dominant contested possession game pairs you know we spoke of the you know Petrarca and Oliver like Petrarca had 32 disposals eight clearances and a goal Jack Viney had 34 possessions nine clearances Clayton Oliver had 27 and seven clearances it was an absolutely dominant the, the trio combined for 45 contested possessions and that was up to the third quarter pairs that was only up until the third quarter and they absolutely just smashed it in they gave Geelong no room whatsoever to do anything and they continued the demolition straight after the at half time after Geelong sort of snuck back a little bit in that second quarter yeah Geelong had a couple of chances you know they kicked uh, uh, the first goal and then Melbourne came back Geelong came back with Reece Stanley and they were still in it in terms of the score and the commentators were just wanting wanting a, a better game like all the footy fans were that didn't go for Melbourne uh, I'm sure Melbourne supporters would have been nervous right up until probably the 15-minute mark of that fourth quarter. They still would have been nervous that Geelong could come back. But interestingly, we speak about centre clearances and the domination from um, Melbourne. Now, Geelong won the clearances on the day, and they won the centre clearances by five, and they won the clearances plus four. Now, the reason that Melbourne was still so dominant is because the pressure they put on Geelong when Geelong won the clearance in the middle they were able to get the ball straight back and then string forward and get those inside 50 and get those easy scores. When Geelong got the clearances, they were getting the clearances in their back half and, and they were trying to go forward, but they were going past all the Melbourne midfield and the pressure was immense. When Melbourne were getting their clearances, those clearances were super important because they were already on the move. They were going forward. They'd already left the Geelong midfield behind and they were entering inside 50. Christian Petrarca, amazing on the night. Yeah, Pez. I mean, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little, still a little bit shocked, Pez, because it was one of those games where it wasn't even that everything went wrong for Geelong. It was just Melbourne didn't give an inch that whole night. They didn't let their, their foot off the accelerator from from the get go right until that fourth, you know, that fourth quarter when they sort of, you know, sort of sunk in that they'd made themselves into a grand final. But I sort of want to talk a little bit about some of the performances from some of the Geelong players and some of the, the big names who, again, uh, you know, have come um, have gone missing realistically. Gary Rowan up until the third quarter had no touches. Pez he, he finished with uh, one disposal for the game. 
And whilst, you know, he only had one disposal, it seemed like his impact around the game was just non-existent. He didn't seem to be going near the ball. He made a couple of good shepherds here and there. Jeremy Cameron had four dis- four disposals, but I guess it's sort of overshadowed by his two goals that he had. Radaglia had five disposals. And it was just just the players that you expected to come out and show and show some you know some sort of force they had a there was a lot of speak about the the three-headed uh, monster up forward with Radagalia and Hawkins and Cameron Hawkins had the yips early you know he got back on track and kicked a couple of, uh, kicked a goal and had a couple of other opportunities but they they just w- were dominated all over the ground and realistically it was a bit disappointing that some of the Geelong senior players didn't stand out and really really show show a bit of fight yeah, you know those three players that you mentioned, Rowan, Cameron, Radaglia. What they have in common is they're all Geelong forwards. Mm-hmm. And what happened is Melbourne's pressure in the midfield was so intense that those backmen for Melbourne were able to clean up absolutely everything. And then Geelong were on the back foot. They weren't able to put the pressure on back backwards like that. They weren't able to, to chase them down. They were running 10 metres behind from the start. They weren't on a level playing field. Um, so it's no excuse for the forwards because... They had to, you know, push up the ground or do something. I would expect uh, Jeremy Cameron on the money he's on and the elite forward that he is. At GWS, you know what he did a lot? He was up at half back taking marks and, and getting into the game and up at half forward. And then his team were getting the ball inside forward 50, but then they couldn't score because they didn't have anyone else. But with Tom Hawkins as your other guy, I would expect Jeremy Cameron to go up the ground more and actually help out um, coming out of defence. Another player that I want to mention who didn't just have a horrible game, I think he's had a horrible final series source, is Lockie Henderson in defence. He's been really fumbly all final series, cost his team uh, a few goals just by fumbles, and uh, when he could win the ball, uh, gets the ball out of bounds or um, drops the mark or whatever it might be. So Lockie Henderson, really poor showing as well. Yeah, and I think Henderson's a really interesting one, Pez, because if we remember, we go back to this, this position two years ago and he'd been delisted. And it wasn't until they sort of, you know, he'd actually been delisted uh, at the end of the the 2019 season. And then they recalled him for that 2020 season. And he had an amazing run. He had a new lease of life. He had his second chance. But I think that's when Geelong should have just called it quits and said, you know what? We we got what we needed out of you. We need to get a bit younger, which will be, I'm guessing, a theme when we get into the season's over, Pez. Um, And... You know, they should have left it at that. He had an absolutely horrible month of football. Not just the two finals, ga- the three finals games that he played. It was also the couple of weeks leading up to there. The St Kilda game, he was absolutely, you know, disgraceful. A lot, a lot of, uh, excuse me, a lot of mix, uh, missed marks, a lot of, as you said, missed kicks. You know, and especially when, you know, he got really exposed with... Um, Tom Stewart out, whereas, you know, he had to become that connecting kick in that Geelong game plan, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, Pez, because I'm very furious about that. But, uh, you know, in that game, he became a pivotal point in that. And realistically, he's not up to that. He's not up to that kick. And that really also put him under the pump. You know, when you're playing sport, Pez, when one thing goes wrong, it can just snowball. And that's exactly what happened from that first finals, that, that dropped Port Adelaide mark where he drops in there and then Charlie Dixon grabs the ball and handballs it over. And I think Motloff kicks the second goal of the game in that first final. And then the very next kick, he basically kicks it straight to, uh, I think it was um, Robbie Gray, straight to Robbie Gray and the same thing, handball, goal, back-to-back goals caused by Lockie Henderson. And that snowballed for the rest of his series. Oh, it was, uh, yeah, a very poor showing and a poor series. And, uh, by the sounds of it, he's already been delisted once. He will actually uh, mm-hmm. uh, call it quits and, and maybe retire. So um, what what my next thing was, and you've already alluded to it about the Geelong game plan source. So I was going to ask you this question. You're in the coach's box. You're in charge at quarter time, five goals to one. 
What do you actually do and what could have you done against that Melbourne side talking game plans? I mean, realistically, I think if you're talking game plans, you're playing against... I mean, going into this this, this game, we spoke about how Geelong, uh, they're polar opposite to the way Melbourne play. I would have actually just thrown the, the whiteboard away, pairs, and just go, you know what, guys? Let's just run the chaos ball. We're down by five goals. The slow, possessive football is not working through our own execution, not through Melbourne's pressure, through we're not being allowed to do it. So we're, we're not getting those... We're not getting that movement. You know what? Throw the ball, throw the whiteboard out. Let's go chaos ball. And you saw it in the fourth quarter. You see it every fourth quarter when Geelong's down big, where they just go, right, just play through your own intuition, go through your own skills, and rotate it in, rotate it out. That old, um, who used to run it perfectly? The Western Bulldogs run it perfectly, actually. That whole start in, move out, start in, move out. But Geelong repeatedly did the exact same thing. They went to kick from side to side, and then they kicked to a contest, and who was there? Lever. Gorn, they had the crumbs, and then bang, as you said, Spargo, Salem. You know, Cosy Pickett was amazing in some of those crumbs around those packs and getting that ball actually moving. I, I would have just tried to go up, go into the middle of the ground and take it away from those big, bustly forwards and those back, sorry, that big, bustly back line and those crumb players and put it into the middle of the ground. They were getting scored against at a high flow anyway, Pez. And I know that's an easy solution. Everyone says, oh, well, you just go up the guts and it makes it easy. But in a situation like that, we were getting torn apart in those wings going up the side of the ground because the ball wasn't going out. And even if it does go out, you're coming up against an elite ruckman who's dominant and then against an elite midfield who was also dominant in the clearances. As you said, they lost the clearances, but it's the second efforts and those clearances that are not making up for it. But what would you do, Pez? I mean, I mean, you know my thoughts on this one, that they need to have a plan B. It's very clear Geelong does not have a plan B. And it's very clear to me that they are not planning for the best teams in the comp. They're just worrying about their own game plan. And that's that's a cliche as that you know as much as people say, but there comes a time where you need to you know respect your opposition and plan a game plan for, for your opposition. Yeah, well, going into the game, we did speak about um, where's Plan B, where's Plan C, what is it? Now, obviously, we're not AFL coaches or anything like that, and we don't know um, what what goes on. But what we do is we watch the footy source, and what Geelong were doing is what they do every single time, and it eventually it gets them to the top four but eventually it lets them down in big finals. This is a big final. It let them down. Now, they didn't have all their cattle. So they didn't have Tom Stewart, who's a very important player. I don't know how much big a difference he makes on the night because Melbourne probably still win by about 10 goals. But one player can change a lot. Now, I think with Radagalia and Reece Stanley, in hindsight, a mistake to go on with that. Okay? So Radagalia out, someone in. But at quarter time, you can't do that. All right? Do you make a big call, though? And do you say, all right, we're subbing out the big fella and we're putting in our super sub and we're going to run in there. Instead of putting uh, Reece Stanley, so Reece Stanley's in the ruck, instead of Radicalia going in second, put another midfielder in there, go in with four mids um, against the Max Gorn in the ruck, let him win the tap and try something there. All right, I might not have tried it at four goals down source, but I definitely would have tried it after half time when we were getting seven, eight, nine goals down. I would have just thrown it out and gone, all right, midfield, you get in there, stop Petrarca, stop Oliver, do not let them get the ball forward of the centre and get another stoppage and, and let's try and get forward ourselves. It's an interesting sort of um, you know situation, Piers, because in the ideal world, obviously, you know we don't have the super sub anymore, and it's you know the injured player as the as they sort of uh, allude. To. I would have said he's injured though. Yeah, well, he, he definitely looked like he was injured. He couldn't get near the ball, so he was definitely running, had some running problems. Or, but it's it's one of those things where 
the game plan is is such a pivotal part of football. And I feel like, you know, this, as you said, this has happened many times for Geelong. And we'll probably go into it when we talk about the season over. But the thing that was very clear is that Melbourne and, you know, Port Adelaide had worked out how to stop that game plan. Now, maybe it's where Geelong need to become a little bit more defensive in terms of the way that they counteract that. So maybe they needed to actually, you know, tag some of those players that are actually stopping them from putting that game plan in there. Maybe they need to, to change some of the, their tagging roles because they didn't bother tagging any of the midfielders. Maybe they need to look at, you know, playing someone and taking those, you know, lever and um, some, of the, some of their defenders out of those situations to allow them to do that. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. But it just seems like that they're like, you know what, we'll just keep doing this because it works. Because it works during the regular season when we play the plebs and we play the bottom, the bottom you know, eight teams. But when we play against a team who has been planning for us all year long, it doesn't work. Now, why doesn't that work? I mean, it's obvious why it doesn't work, but maybe that's what Geelong needs to do is if they want to stick to this game plan, look at ways that they can be a little bit more defensive and still run that game plan and create options to free up those options for their game plan. I can't believe the contrast between round 23 and the prelim final. I thought we were going to get a really, you know, a, a good game, you know, sub four goal games, four goal margin. Um, interesting thing you talk about the, the forward tag as well. Christian Salem got let off the hook. He had 29 disposals. He had 23 kicks. And he is one of the most elite kicks in the game. He's, he's a chance, you know, if, if uh, the, they can stop the Bulldogs from the back one and he can get them forward, he's a chance to win the Norm Smith in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, and that's how good he is and how good he can be. So you can't lock down everyone. And they've got a lot of talent over the ground. But maybe uh, not letting Christian Salem kick it 23 out of 29 times that he touched it. But try and put a little bit of pressure on him and make him handball it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we can talk about the the massive gaps in in terms of the reasons that Geelong lost, but you know that's one of the reasons that Melbourne have been so good this year, Pez. They've had a lot of players that the last couple of years we've been speaking about their skill level and how good that they look, and then they let them, they let them delve with their with their skill level. You look at their midfield and look at a lot around the ground. They have elite kicks all around the ground now, whereas two or three years ago, same game plan, same potential, and they were just turning it over and. and terrible parts of the ground and getting scored heavily against. And, you know, you fix that basic skill, Pez. I don't think once this year we've said about Melbourne, good kicking is good football because they've been kicking the football well and they look good when they are kicking it well. And this is a game plan that, you know, this chaos ball, this inside, outside, big bustling midfielders and attacking from those back lines that, you know, Goodwin has done a really good job in, in sticking with a plan that works. He's using a game plan for his cattle. I think that's that's really pivotal because they've got a lot of run, they've got a lot of exciting players, they've got a lot of pace, uh, and you know once they've got their skill level fixed, which they have, they look really good. Yeah, and uh, looking good, uh, Max Gorn, you kicked five goals. I love the snap from uh, forty-five out when he wasn't he didn't get called play on, but he knew the ball was touched off the boot, and he's just gone and snapped it around. He had another snap out of the ruck, and he was just on absolute fire. Uh, he's had a lot of history with goal kicking against Geelong or. Uh, behind kicking as well over the last few seasons definitely and for him to kick five straight to just captain that side into a grand final and really push himself up there um, in, in terms of you know when he got the second fiddle of an all-Australian jacket years and years ago when my opinion was that he didn't deserve some of those this year he's fully deserving he's captained his side in there he kicked five goals uh, and he's he, he, unlikely he's going to do that again but he is going to have a massive impact on the outcome of the grand final. 
Yeah, talk about a bloke who has transformed their career, Pez, because I think the, the biggest criticism when he made that All-Australian side is he was such a dominant tuck, uh, uh, tap ruckman, but that's all he really did. And, geez, over a two-year period, he has developed all facets of his game, and he's become one of the elite ruckmans and, and a clear leader of his club because he stood up in the big times. He, you know, he puts his team on his back and... You know, he takes big marks, he takes them forward, defence. You can see even sometimes, you know, in some of the bumps and shepherds and the coaching around the ground he's doing, and it's really great to see from a, a young bloke who came into the league, uh, you know, riding his little scooter to <laughs> scooter to the, the training sessions and having a couple of sneaky darts up after the game, after training, to an, an elite forward, one win away from a premiership. Or elite Ruckman, sorry. Yeah, unbelievable. His uh, defensive game is what's really got me over the line for him and his ability to float back and help his uh, elite All-Australian defenders out as well. Uh, another player I do want to mention, Source, from Melbourne, is a North Melbourne reject, uh, Benny Brown, who we were very critical of during the year. We thought, uh, how is this going to work? Ben Brown, he isn't the forward that comes up you know, and takes the contested grab and really takes the pressure off the forward line. He needs to be given the ball on the lead. He needs to be five metres in front, and then he's a great set shot at goal which is how it worked at North Melbourne when they got out the back or uh, they got it to him on the lead. Didn't really take many contested marks. You, you look at the, in the first quarter, especially on Friday night, Benny Brown, a few contested marks, a couple up the ground, a couple inside forward 50, and uh, you thought, who the hell is this player? What is he doing? He, he, it's like he had a uh, Mason Cox moment in a preliminary final. Yeah, do you know the difference is between Mason Cox and Ben Brown, Pez, is that Ben Brown has gone and worked on different facets of his game. I think he realised after he got dropped from, you know, delisted from Melbourne, and North Melbourne copped a lot of criticism for it, but realistically, when he was at North Melbourne, he was such a one-dimensional player. And as soon as people worked him out, he changed. They're, they're going through a rebuild, so what does he do? He doesn't get the contract extension, and he reaches out to, to the Melbourne D's. And the reason he wasn't getting the game early is because he still was one-dimensional. And they're like, you need to be taking contested marks. We, we've got a player that leads forward and kicks goals in Bailey Fritch, and he does it a lot better than you do. So, you know, we need someone that, that can take those big marks, that can create that presence. And through a couple of injuries, he was able to get an opportunity. And Pez, when you have the opportunity, he's taken it. And, you know, he's a, he's a force to be reckoned with and a forward. And he definitely you know, gets our apologies, Pez, because we were so critical about Melbourne putting him in there. And, yeah, if, if he can continue with this, you know, pack marks, leading to space, not just straight in the middle, Pez, he's actually leading to little pockets and doing little, you can see him do some actual forward ruck, uh, not forward ruck work, but it's like some forward um, sets, I guess, and, and movements and actually create some space, not just for himself, but his other forwards. He's going to be a forward that's going to be there for a couple of years and do some damage. I think it's a big difference. He's in a side that's, you know, at the top of the ladder at North Melbourne. They didn't have a lot of forward structure when Ben Brown was there. What they did have is their focus was on defensive effort and pressure. So they, their focus was all going the other way because the other team has the ball most of the time. Whereas Melvin, he's working with the forward line and the forward line coach there. And they're saying, all right, not just how are we going to get you goals and get contested marks because it's not about that anymore. How are we going to get the best opportunity for our footy club to get a goal on the, on the, on the board there? We got Ben Brown, you've got some leading patterns here. When these guys are in the forward line, this is where I want you to be. This is where I want you to go. So he's looked at tape. He's done this. He's practiced these sets of training, as we say. And he's gone out there. And then when it's actually come to him, he's actually taken the contested mark, which is uh, great for his confidence, great for him as a footy player. And, and I hope if I can see that from him uh, into the future, he can be a, a really elite forward that kicks his couple of goals a game, 
but creates so much space and goals for his uh, uh, not his opponents, his uh, teammates. Yeah, and you make a really good point, Pez. You know, because a lot of the times we talk about forwards and you know the delivery that they get, but it's also about the the, the players that are around them that allow them to create opportunities for themselves as well as the other players. You know, you look at you know dominant forwards when they've got no one else there, and you go to North Melbourne. They didn't really have a second or third tall forward there, so it's just he gets the best defender each week. And when he's doing, you know, running those uh, forward patterns, well, the defenders are going. I'm not wasting my time because I know the ball's coming to you. In this situation, you know, there's there's different lead up patterns where sometimes he's the shepherd, sometimes he's the the block, sometimes he's the diversion, and it's actually a realistic threat because that they, they do have different ways that can you know that can that can score against you for Melbourne. You know, they've got Bailey Fritsch down there. You've got Max Gorman. He's up there, you know, floats up forward. You've got all those other players that can sort of make, a, make you know, the defenders accountable. Yeah, your Spargo, your Neil Bull and your, your yep. Cozzy Pickett. Uh, Cos- Jackson, Cozzy goes Pickett. Forward and Jackson goes forward and, and does uh, special things. Sparrow, you know, he's been kicking goals in this final series and going down there. So lots and lots of things. Melbourne, uh, full credit to them for turning themselves around. Simon Goodwin, he was on the chopping block and, and now he's got his team into a grand final. First grand final in 21 years. As you remember, Source, in the year 2000, uh, they didn't win it. Uh, so a little bit of pressure on them, but the Bulldogs in their second grand final as well, which we'll speak about them in a minute. So um, Geelong, even though Melbourne was so good, really, really poor performance all round. Um, and there'll be a bit to speak about when we get to season over for them. Melbourne. Uh, really, really impressive. Uh, I can't believe it's an 83-point win. Absolutely dominant. And uh, if this grand final was in Melbourne, normal circumstances, no COVID, no lockdown, this town would be rocking. Yeah, it would be, Pez. It's a real shame that for all those D's fans and that have stuck through all the, the turmoil of the last 10, 15 years, uh, of them being at the bottom and not being able to see them team their team actually play in the final series. And um, you remember the excitement a couple of years ago, Pez, when they went over to Perth and they got absolutely flogged. Well, they're going to go over to Perth again <laughs> and none of their Melbourne fans can actually watch them. So, you know, it's, it's really disappointing. Both of us have been lucky enough to watch our team in a grand final pairs. Not both of us have obviously been able to, to watch our team win, but it's a different feeling and you really feel for those Melbourne fans who have stuck with them over the last 20 years and not been able to see that. And then they're one win away from a grand final and especially with the, the type of football that they're playing pairs. Yeah, and uh, we, we're going to speak about Melbourne a lot because we're going to be doing our uh, pre-grand final preview of the game and then speaking about in depth and how both sides can win and what, and what they need to do. So uh, we leave the Friday night, a uh, very disappointing one for the Cats, very exciting for Melbourne. And we head to the Saturday night, which I was really excited about this game. Uh, personally, I thought Port Adelaide would come out and, and prove something and be able to beat the Western Bulldogs. Uh, but it just did not happen. The Western Bulldogs were way too good and won by 70 points. Uh, Pez, this game was over in the first 10 minutes. The Bulldogs piled on five goals, and uh, it was 37, I think it was like 37 points at halftime, but they piled, piled on the first five goals, and the cameras panned around, and it was just dead silence. And the Port Adelaide fans didn't know what to do. You looked at the, the coach's box, and I've never seen a coach look so shell-shocked. Like, he didn't look angry, he didn't look upset, he just looked like bewildered of what was happening and watching his team throw away a second straight prelim home final in the fashion that they did. Oh, and he's, uh, he's got his two-year contract extension. A lot of stuff has come out this week. Is, is Ken Hinkley the right man for the job? Uh, he needs to be sacked. A couple of people backing him and going, yeah, we've got to do this. The Both of these sides, so talented, 
they're, they're good kicking sides. And uh, when you've got so many good kicks in your side, you are elite. The next thing is midfield, being able to win that contested ball and then move the ball forward uh, by hitting your targets. And the Bulldogs just did that much better. Port Adelaide were just stunned, shell-shocked. It was a reverse of the first final against Geelong where Port Adelaide just dominated Geelong. Uh, it was a full reverse and the Bulldogs dominated and a little bit more. And a lot of their players were really, really impressive. Yeah, Pez, before we get on to how impressive the Western Bulldogs were, you touched on how impressive Port Adelaide was the week before. And the thing that made them so impressive was the amount of pressure that they applied. There seemed to be you know, four or five black and, and, and green uh, jumpers around every single pack. This was not the case in in um, um, for Saturday night's game. It was the complete opposite. There were Western Bulldogs jumpers everywhere, and it, they didn't look pressured at all. It looked like you know we say training drill, but this one really did look like a training drill, Pez, because it was like one one uh, Port defender, and it would just go crisscross, you know, the old three man weave sort of thing, and the Bulldogs were out, and it was you know those people like we spoke about, we've been speaking about all year, like Trelaw, McRae. Smith, Bontempelli, Caleb Daniel. Jeez, did he have an opening quarter. But it, w- it was incredible, Pez, to see a team like this perform the way they did the first week of the finals against Geelong to basically be irrelevant in the first five minutes, first ten minutes of the quarter. It was, yeah, it was really disappointing because we had a disappointing result the night before. And I just wanted to watch a good game of footy with only having two games of footy left source. And, uh, yeah, I was just a little bit upset, but just in awe of the Bulldogs and their run. It didn't matter who it was. You got the ball to the player in the best position and kicked the ball inside 50, and they had open players absolutely everywhere. They took Aaliyah Aaliyah pretty much right out of the game. He had little to no impact and not uh, many intercept possessions at all, and they got so many goals uh, from their midfield. (laughs) Midfielders just running forward, finding that open space. Mitch Hannon, he kicked three three goals too, Source. He had a couple of really nice contested marks and lead-ups and uh, being at, from Hawthorne and, you know, turning his, uh, turning his career around when most would have thought it was over, he's taken over the Mitch Wallace role, who's the vice-captain and can't get a game at the moment. But yeah, it's a pretty pretty crazy pairs when you think about that. But like you spoke about, like the the amount of goals that they got from their midfield. At one point, they had kicked nine goals, and they had eight different goal kickers, and that's incredible. That just shows you that you know one of the things that we really were concerned about with the Bulldogs was how they were going to score their goals. We said this at the start of the final series, but when you've got that midfield movement and they free up as much space as they do, and you know that again that chaos sort of football where it just comes in and out and in and out, and they they turn the defenders on their head and they end up going into the fifty, and they just seem to to have an an. Um, a crazy amount of free players in that forward line pairs and it wasn't just coming out of the midfield goals they were like little like their midfielders were sitting up from the 45 uh, 45 degree 45 degree angle 45 out for set shots in goal I can't believe the amount of times Trelaw somehow got himself free in that little forward pocket and had a shot on goal like that should not happen in a in a final let alone a prelim final no it's uh <laughs> It's strange when you when you look at it and you see Port Adelaide put pressure on Geelong. And the, uh, my question comes to this: is uh, was Geelong just not up to it? Because the way Port Adelaide played against Geelong, it was the the complete opposite of what they did against the Western Bulldogs. They couldn't apply any pressure to the midfield. Uh, what did the Bulldogs do differently? Did they take the game on more? Yes. Did they kick it uh, more elite? Yes. Did they hit their targets? Yes. Did they play on? 
take risks and run. Yes. Was it a risk against this Port Adelaide side? Not really, because they weren't putting any pressure on. So um, Bulldogs really impressive. And the most impressive thing about it is Melbourne, if they play like they did on that prelim final, no one beats them. But then you look at the next night. If the Bulldogs play like that, no one beats them. So if both of those teams can bring that to this grand final, we could be in for an absolute ripper. And I hope we do, Pez. I hope both teams haven't played their grand final a week earlier because watching both teams, and I said to, I was talking, watching the game, obviously, a very, very tough game to watch on the Friday night. I said to mum and dad, I said, there's no chance anyone beats this Melbourne team. And then halfway through the first quarter, I turned to dad and I said, Holy shit! I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone can beat this Western Bulldogs team. Like, and that was in the first <laughs> quarter, Pez. And and if we are, in, if we have this same sort of, um, you know, this same sort of intensity on the grand final day in, in a week and a half's time, we are in for an absolute treat, Pez. And I'm really looking forward to it. But we know with grand finals, they generally aren't as free flowing as both of these games were because both of these prelim finals were extremely free flowing, and that was what made the Western Bulldogs look so good. Is they just overpossess the ball. That we, all year we've been saying they overpossess the ball. They overpossess the ball. On on Saturday night they didn't overpossess of it because they were continually moving forward every time they got the ball. Lockie Hunter, Josh Dunkley, Caleb Daniel, Adam Trelaw, Bailey Dale was fantastic. Jack McRae. Like every time they got the ball, pairs they moved forward and looked like scoring, and they looked like scoring because they were moving in numbers, moving in packs, and. There were many times that they'd go forward and any one of those names that I mentioned had the pill in their hands and could have had an open shot for goal. And just they looked very, very hard to beat on Saturday night. Oh, yeah, they did. And it was not a good night to be a Port Adelaide forward uh, because they they were in so many one-on-two, one-on-three contests around the ground and then Bulldogs would just clean it up and and go the other way. We were very, uh, I guess, critical of uh, the Stefan Martin inclusion. So we, we just didn't know. Because we we have no idea what's happening. He didn't play any football for a long period of time. He was injured. I asked the question the week before about is he going to come back because he was a really important part of them being a really successful uh, team up the top. When they lost all those games and cost themselves top four, he wasn't in the side. And him in the ruck and English as a second ruck is much better than English as a first ruck and Lewis Young as a second ruck. So... Um, he, he had his nine disposals. Uh, he got 13 hitouts for the game. Uh, he had also made three tackles. So he, he looked fine to me. He, he didn't have any pressure or anything, but um, that's exactly what he needed to do. And him against Gorn, he, he needs to really step up again. Yeah, he's really going to have his work cut out against uh, against Gorn Pez, but we were really critical about him because we didn't know what 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 to really expect. But one person we were critical as well early on in the final series who played a you know a, a really quiet but really quite dominant game, if sort of excuse the oxymoron, there was was Josh Shackey Pez. It was extremely impressive, you know, banging through a couple of those packs, taking a couple of really nice, you know, nice grabs out of, out of the top. He had six marks for the game, and he actually looked like a genuine forward at some points in the game, which you go back three or four years ago, you definitely were surprised to see this bloke still in the league. Yeah, and uh, what I think Melbourne have done and what the Western Bulldogs have done, Source, this is a, a little bit of a, a money ball situation. Mm-hmm. So uh, the movie... Uh, Brad Pitt and is it Jonah Hill? Is that his name? Yep. The actor. Moneyball. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it about uh, baseball and, you know, using formulas and getting all these role players. Bulldogs and Melbourne, both absolute elite midfields. And they put a lot of their money in there. They don't both have, you know, dominating forwards, 
Melbourne have a, a dominant defence as well. But the Bulldogs, so many role players that are around. Josh Shackey, he, he's one that can come up. You've got uh, Gardner who plays his role in the back. You've got Vandermeer. All right. His name always bobs up and he's always around goal. He's always dangerous. Only six disposals, but a goal. Uh, you've got Taylor Duray who comes in and plays a role. Rock Smith. If you haven't heard of Rock Smith, his final series has been super impressive. Him being able to get the ball, win the ball on the ground, uh, move the ball forward and have some accurate kicks and really put the pressure on, uh, the perceived pressure on the other side. So I could keep going on with, with small role players and things like that, but it's, it's going to be a, a grand final. Battle of the role players, the money ball. The money ball pairs. So I guess the the question is, uh, you know, way too early call because I don't know if, if you remember in the movie, the o- Oakland A's they obviously are trying to formulate a World Series and they fall short, spoiler alert, pairs. But, you know, obviously it's a true story, so you just have to look up history. It's not a spoiler alert. Who's the who's the money ball? Who's the Oakland A's in this situation? Oh, <laughs> didn't, they, didn't they play um, the New York Yankees or something? In uh, the they, World played Series? The, they played the Boston Red Sox. Boston Red Sox, so one of the really big clubs who big had club. like <laughs> over a hundred million dollars in salary cap and things like that. So I don't know if you can compare that to who is uh, that because these clubs very similar in my opinion with their role players in their midfield. I'd say that uh, Melbourne have the better back line, so possibly. Uh, the Bulldogs can go in as uh, the Oakland A's and see if they can get the job done. Yeah, I mean, what's really exciting about this, pairs, and we sort of uh, digressed a little bit off, off Port Adelaide because there's not really much to talk about Port Adelaide. They're absolutely putrid. Is What's really exciting is the last couple of years we've seen a Richmond brand football. You know, the attack from, attack from behind, overpossess the ball, kick the ball. In both of these teams here that have made it the grand final, they've got their big bustly midfielders, the big body midfielders in Petrarca and Bont. We've got teams that people that overpossess the ball in, you know, a range of different players for the Bulldogs. You could list anyone in that midfield. You know, we haven't even talked about Tom Liberatore yet. <laughs> and his final series has been amazing. He wasn't that impressing. and was a little bit tagged out on Saturday night, but you know, that's really exciting for football going forward because if this is the style of gameplay that we're going to be seeing, that's so much more exciting, Pairs. Imagine if all the teams start to emulate this and just that chaos ball, you know, lots of overpossessing of the ball, the high risk, high reward, playing it at all costs. Exciting time to, uh, to be a football fan. Yeah, it's amazing how they were, the Bulldogs on Saturday night were able to get the ball inside forward 50 and, and score pretty easily. But when they didn't score and Port Adelaide came back and rebounded it, the way they were still set up behind the ball and able to uh, stem the flow and really try and make Port Adelaide uh, if they wanted to take a risk, they had to go up the middle. And when they went up the middle and went to that second kick up to their half forward line, the Bulldogs just cleaned up and, and had the numbers around the ball. So uh, that was a big downfall for Port Adelaide, but the Bulldogs just well coached and well set up. Yeah, that's a rarity, Pez, us talking about Beveridge as a well coach, because you're right, they do have that sort of team defence sort of a counter-attack off the rebound of football, whereas Melbourne are more that star-studded, you know, that defence. But uh, the role players definitely contributed to, to the Western Bulldogs, Pez, and, and it's very rare that we have a prelim final. And your casual footy fan, Pez, there's probably about 10 blokes on the Western Bulldogs that I don't even know, that have, have played them, have no idea who they are. And during the next two weeks as they come out, they'll be like, oh, I, I didn't even realise who that is. I haven't heard of him. I haven't heard of this one. And you are right, Pez. It is a battle of the role players. They've just got the players that fit the mould and do the right thing. And they're not looking for the most elite midfield. They're not looking for the most elite forward. They've just got everyone playing the role. And when they, they, they turn it on, as we've seen in the last month or so, um, they look amazing and very hard to beat. Yeah, and I doubted the Western Bulldogs, as did you last week, Sauce. Yep. And we spoke about how Port Adelaide were going to win and the Bulldogs had too many outs and 
were missing key defenders and, and things like that, and uh, it didn't happen. So my Bulldogs, mate, on Saturday night at about 10.30, sent me a, a text source and get ready to press the, uh, the bleep out button. He said, hope it's a better f***ing podcast this week, you flogs. Oh, wow. Jeez. <laughs> Well, I don't have a beep button uh, ready handy, Piz, so now I have to go back and edit. So thanks thanks for that. <laughs> thanks. And who, who, who was that? Who, which uh, mate was that? Uh, the, the big big fellow Lance. He's, he's a big Bulldogs fan and uh, would have had a, a few of the very best into him, I reckon, and got a little bit of Dutch courage to send that text. Yeah, well, there's there's the uh, hot tip, uh, listeners. Make sure you don't drink and text because you, uh, <laughs> you count up saying uh, very ignorant and a bit of a flog. So uh, <laughs> shout out to Lance. And uh, for his sake, I hope the, uh, the Bulldogs get flogged uh, on Saturday, <laughs> Saturday week. <laughs> <laughs> for his sake, it wouldn't be good for him, but uh, he will definitely uh, in, enjoy the finals there. So uh, only one more thing to do, Sauce, and we've got to get into season over and speak about Geelong and Port Adelaide for the last time. Here we go, season over. We need to give a hashtag for both clubs. And if we've got any Port Adelaide listeners source, then I'm going to be too happy with you because uh, Geelong had a, a shitful performance on the Friday night and spent a lot of time talking about the Cats. And then you just said, you know, Port Adelaide, we're no good. We don't need to speak about them anymore. So uh, Port Adelaide fans, get into the source. No, it was more. Pez, that's a bit harsh, Pez, <laughs> because we, we, we said uh, in our preview of the show that we were going to try and focus on the teams that uh, that were winning. And uh, as, as you can sort of alluded to, Pez, it was it was hard to watch the Western Bulldogs play because uh, we both were feeling a little bit, uh, you know, into our own shell because we did predict the game completely wrong and we underestimated uh, the Western Bulldogs and they shocked everyone, not just the Port Adelaide supporters, not Port Adelaide, but but us as well, Pez. So, um, don't worry, mate. I, I, I saved you, and I tried to keep getting away from Geelong and talk about Melbourne, but you just kept going back. So <laughs> you, asked your, me, you asked me loaded your, questions, you flog. This is your last chance in the podcast to talk about Geelong. You're going to give your club a hashtag and then that's finished source until 2022. Oh, thank God. That was, <laughs> thank God we can get rid of them for, for 2021 because I'm, I'm sick of them. So uh, I'll start things off, Pez. Uh, my hashtag is very, very simple, Pez. Hashtag nine lives are up. So, Pez, Ooh. it makes it really simple, and, and my maths isn't great, as you know, Pez, and I'm a little bit off on this one, but but there's been no flag since 2011. And if you're looking at uh, success and what uh, Geelong have been doing, they've been amazing and they've been up the top, but their record in week one of finals since 2011 is 1-8. Okay, in five of the last six seasons, they've been um, defeated um, and they've actually seen their lowest points of the season, right? They've made six prelim finals in that time. They've won one prelim final in that time. One out of six pairs. So if you add all those up, we get to, to 10 years. So in the 10 years, the nine lives are up, and maybe there was one year in there. must have been a, the, the asterisk year. The COVID year didn't count, so there's your nine years pairs. But it is time to... The only year they won a prelim. Yep. <laughs> doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> it is time to, unfortunately, pairs all the talks about, you know, whether they've been too slow, too old, whatever. It's got nothing to do with that, pairs. They need to start to breed the youth and they need to start to do what they've done well in the past. They need to go into the draft. They need to keep some of the, their younger players. They need to get away 
from topping up at the top end because we've seen the last couple of years it gets you all right in um, the preseason and the um, so not the preseason it gets you all right in the season but when it comes to finals it does not win finals and the players that stood up on Friday night uh, there weren't many of them pairs but they weren't those old bodies the Henderson we we mentioned as being too old. Rowan, we mentioned, is too old. You know, there, there's players in there that just didn't hold up their end of the bargain. And when you top up, Pez, your premiership window is, is only open for a certain amount. And when you top up and you continually just edge that window open with some older players, eventually it breaks in drastic fashion and you have to rebuild. Geelong have a really good opportunity where their list is is, is, is a, a pretty even balance of young and old talent where they need to work out the old talent they need to get rid of and keep some of those young stars that can't get a game. And unfortunately, I think for Geelong, have already got two feet out the door. Yeah, a couple of them will be off to other clubs, which is the unfortunate thing when you bring in guys like Sean Higgins, who uh, ended up being like a, a specialist medi sub and uh, was was not able to to do anything or really offer anything. I actually watched um, an earlier game. What was it Brisbane Brisbane Bulldogs uh, a final in like uh, 2009 where Sean Higgins was absolutely amazing for the Bulldogs, but couldn't do it for Geelong. Uh, too old, as you said. I don't know if we said Gary Rowan was too old. I think he just does not know how to turn up for finals source because he's decent in the regular season. But no, too old. Uh, you've got you've got other other players there, like a Luke Dalhouse. Does he really stay on the list? Can he be one of those role players? I think end of season trip for um, Geelong, head down to the movies down in, in regional where it's open down down the Cats and uh, just put Moneyball on the on the TV and. Uh, Get them all to watch it and go, all right, yep, I'm not involved in this, so I'm out. I'm going to go find a new club and, and see if you can, you know, keep the core of Dangerfield, Hawkins, Cameron, Guthrie, and then put role players around them instead of just trying to top up with the age. So my hashtag source for that, hashtag old success with a big question mark at the end because my point's the same as yours. They're too old. It's not working. It hasn't worked for 10 years. Uh, they can't win the finals and the important finals and the big finals. So what are they even doing? Yeah, Pez, I don't know if it's about them being too old. I think when people say, oh, it's too old, and I, you know, I guess I did the exact same thing with Gary Rowan because we, we're not talking about Gary Rowan because of his poor performance of his age. But I think what it is, it's the, it's the lack of youth that they're bringing through. And as you said, the money ball's a really good point is because what they do is they go after just whoever was available. Like they went after Josh Jenkins with no real purpose. They went after, um, you know, Sean Higgins with, with no real purpose and, you know, Smith as well with, with again, they're just going to fit him into the side. But, but what they're doing is they've got players that are already playing those roles really well. You know, Jordan Clark, when he gets a game is amazing. Quinton Narkle, amazing that he couldn't get a game in this prelim. Charlie Constable dominating the VFL and when every time he's in there is dominating. What they need to do is they need to target players that they or areas that they have a deficit. What is the biggest deficit you ask anyone, Pez? Oh, well, you guys don't believe in Ruckman. We don't believe in Ruckman. We've got Reece Stanley who's 30 years old and he's been the best Ruckman at our club and realistically he's not a Ruckman. We tried Blitzars, who's an you know all Australian defender, as a ruckman. What they need to do is is stop getting people just get it, like just getting whoever's available, whoever's there because they're you know they want to win a premiership and they want to sort of you know they're old and they're like oh I want to go back to home. Target people, target some youth of areas that we have deficits in. Our defence is pretty solid in terms of you know a range of different things. Obviously, they're going to have to look at re, um, replacing um, Henderson, but outside that, the defence is pretty good. So so you know chuck someone in there. But otherwise, go after an elite ruckman. 
go after a couple of wing players that can fit into those, you know, those those thirty year old spots because their list is pretty pretty old pairs when you look at some of those players um, are around the grounds. Like you know, you've got Luke Dalhouse who I don't, wouldn't give a contract content sorry contract ex, um, extension to Gary Rowan, Reece Stanley, Smith. Higgins, like there's five of them pairs. You know, you get onto Henderson, Josh Jenkins. There's seven. There's a couple of players. You know, the the big question is, what is Stephen Hawking going to do when he comes in here? Is he going to have the balls to really lean into not a rebuild, but is he going to have in the balls and do what Geelong has done really well over the last ten years and tapped a couple of people on the shoulder? Because you know, Chapman will be looking at this list here, going, "Hey, well, I was I still had two or three years um, in me." And I got the tap on the shoulder a little bit early. You know, I mean, the question, as much as he's been a great leader, is Joel Selwood in this list best 22 at the end of next year? I'm not sure. Well, at the end of next year? Not, not, the, not, the, beginning so not, of, next year? not the beginning of the year, Pez, because that's at what ends end. up happening. You look at Nathan, you know, Nathan, Nate Jones for, for Melbourne. At the start of the year, he was in Melbourne's best 22. But as the year goes on, he probably should have got the tap on the shoulder beforehand. And I think Selwood's getting to that area. And unfortunately for Selwood... I don't know where else you play him if he's not playing in the midfield. I think with Nathan Jones, they're just trying to get him to 300 uh, in all honesty. But Joel Selwood's already broken the game's record for Geelong. So maybe uh, he can do. I wouldn't write him off just yet myself. But the seven players you mentioned, Source, are all out the door except for Isaac Smith. Because I think he's been a pretty good inclusion for you. Gives you that run down the wing. Uh, but he is that type of one-way runner where you guys need to be winning the ball out of the middle and and really getting it there. So another person like a Jordan Clark on the other side who can actually provide that pressure and uh, things like that, he doesn't get a game. So there's uh, a couple of things. But the listeners are going to tune out, bored to snores by Geelong's game style <laughs> and bored to snores by you speaking about the Cats still. So Cats is over. No more Cats sauce until 2022. We move on to Port Adelaide. Ken Hinckley, what has he done wrong? Is he included in your hashtag? Uh, my hashtag is uh, don't worry about the Port Port Adelaide. They were discussing. No, no, just, just kidding. No, <laughs> not going back to back. Uh, I mean, this this one for me is is a really really interesting one because we spoke about Port Adelaide what two or three years ago when when we were talking about Ken Hinckley you know, and but what he was doing with Port and their list is good enough to be making finals and then they dropped out and you know he's had back to back years of home consecutive home prelim finals uh, and it's not good enough to lose the first one. You know, it was a closer game against Geelong. They sort of, you know, they just sort of, they just sort of missed out against Geelong in that last quarter. But to lose your second straight one by seventy-one points against a team that had already played two weeks in a row, uh, it's not good enough. And it really is some um, some some questions have been asked. And for me, it's it's very simple. It's just the power shortage is the hashtag piece because I think there's a shortage of direction, and I, th- I really don't know if. Um, and I don't blame Ken Hinckley. I actually blame the, the, the club's leaders and the club committee because they don't know what to do. And they didn't know what to do three years ago when they said, oh, we'll give you one more year and if you can make finals, you make finals, we'll keep you on. They don't know what they're doing up there. They need to they need to really have a look at the program because realistically, it's not successful. They've got enough cattle there and they're young enough to be able to be winning some of these games. And this is their window, Pez. And this is when they need to cap, you know, capture it. We spoke about Brisbane, uh, what, last week? And the same sort of thing. This is where they need to capitalise it. And they just need to make the harsh call with Ken Hinckley. Either he's there or he's not there. Stop stringing him along on these one-year contracts and go... Because realistically, Pez, if he was having questions last year whether he was the guy for the job and they've repeated the same performance, how can we give him another job? Like, like, what's his job? His job is to win premierships, correct? 
And if he's not doing that, you know, you need to take a good hard look and they need to make the hard call and just go, sorry, Ken, we're going to get someone in there that's going to win us the games. And a new head, a new direction, a new voice. He's been at the club a long time. It might help Port Adelaide push them over to, to that premiership success. Yeah, you can look at it both ways, can't you? It can either push them over the line, depending on how his relationship is. It's hard for us not being within the clubs. Yeah. You don't know how his relationship is with the players and, and what happens. They're playing for him. They're doing that. I'm sure they didn't mean to get blown out by 70-odd points, but it's happening too regularly, as you said. And my hashtag, hashtag poor, which is what, what it says on the scoreboard, P-O-R, uh, when you're watching a Port Adelaide game, poor against powerful. Okay? Oh. So the powerful sides... The top four sides or the decent sides can't get over the line. They proved it in 2021 when they uh, beat hardly anyone in the top eight, let alone the top four. Um, ended up having a good end to the season, finished top two, had a big win against the Cats, who, you know, weren't very impressive. And then um, you want to speak about them, Sauce? Or no? No. <laughs> I was just, you know, putting the fishing line out. And. Then a prelim final against the Bulldogs where they had a home final, they had a home crowd where uh, a COVID-affected couple of years where there hasn't been, the Melbourne clubs don't have that home crowd. Bulldogs were all heart and and were just able to get the job done and they were a powerful side. And Port Adelaide, too poor against the powerful. Yeah, Pez, I really like that hashtag because it definitely sums up their season, Pez. But, you know, both of these teams that we spoke about, Geelong and Port Adelaide, it comes down to the business end of the season and too many times over the last couple of years we're talking about the business end of the season and and Port Adelaide their their list is really good and you look at the off season they went and got bitter they had some deficits in you know in the, in the back line they had a really really good season in terms of their young guns uh, you know stepping up and, and get, finding you know finding a couple of the young guns but they, they've got to do something different because at the moment I mean Ollie Wines is fantastic Travis broke but Travis Boke does he have another All-Australian year next year? Uh, we, we don't know. Or is Father Time going to catch up to him? Charlie Dixon. Well, he didn't miss you. Yeah, I know. But he should have. Charlie Dixon, again, we, you know, had a very absent final series, which is a bit of a concern, you know, whether he's not built for finals or there's something in their forward structures that they need to do. You know, Alir Alir had an amazing week one. The second week, he sort of got tagged out of it, and he sort of, you know, he was uh, – not tagged out of it. It's probably a bad bad way to explore it, but he was exposed – Port Adelaide need to do something different next year because during the regular season, they weren't convincing a top four side. Now, they've made it through. Yeah. They've limped in. They've played in all the bad sides. They need to start putting it together and stop being pretenders because we talk about that too often, them being pretenders. You know who I think uh, they lost? They lost, well, they didn't play with him. Uh, is Georgie Artis. He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a really important player. He's a very young player as well. And thinking one of their most important key forwards because Todd Marshall didn't have a great... Um, final series as well, you know, a couple more or another preseason and uh, he needs to get a bit stronger in the upper body uh, to get into those contests. Charlie Dixon can do that, but getting double teamed and having no support around him doesn't really work uh, in terms of that. But Georgie Artis back into that side makes a really big difference. Alir Alir down back is where they're strong. Um, like I said, in the ruck in the middle, their midfield is is decent. They've got Amon and Butters to run the ball and kick inside 50. So uh, they've got players there. They've got talent there. What moves do they make? Do they make it in the in the coaching area? Do they make it in the player area? Do they need to have a big agreement and like a mini review without it being public and just go, all right, our goal is to win a premiership. Our premiership window is open. We finished second. We just can't beat those teams at the top. How do we do that? How, what Does our game plan need to change and we start now? Or is our game plan good and we just adapt it here and there and um, maybe play, maybe have a game plan for 
the Western Bulldogs in their elite midfield. Maybe have a, a few different things up their sleeve uh, moving forward. They need to be really well-planned and future-planned uh, and need to make moves, whether it's on-field or off-field. Uh, I mean, Pez, you, you say that they, they sort of need a private, yet, you know, away from the public review. I, I tend to, to disagree a little bit. I think that they need to really have a proper review and not an internal review where you're looking at all the board and that, but I think the playing group need to hold themselves accountable because this is this is a you know obviously they had their exit meetings at the end of last year and it was a really really great you know thing to, to finish in top four and be one win away and and so on and so forth but when it happens again in this fashion the playing group needs the ones that need to have an internal review and you know famously at Hawthorne it happened and Richmond and Geelong those you know those dynasties over the last couple of years and that's where they need to go and they go right we need to have a really good hard look at what's happening because this is not happening. This is not happening again, and it's happened twice now. You know, all the media all year long for the last two years, we've been pretenders. Oh, we only beat up on the on the clubs below us. We need to come out next year and make a stand. Now, I think that their list is, is good enough. They've got stars around the ground. They've got a lot of combination of older, you know, mature talent in Gray and Dixon, Boak, Wines, you know, Fantasia. You can put in that lot as well, and then some of the younger ones as well, like you said, Georgialis, Rose. Um, you know, Burn, Burn Jones, they've got a range of different talent around the ground. And you look at those lists that I just uh, mentioned, they're names that we know, Pez. You went through the Western Bulldogs before, you go through all of Port Adelaide's list, they're star-studded. They are names around the ground that are all starting to make really big careers for themselves. And they can't allow themselves to be known as pretenders. They cannot be known as the team that chokes in finals. You know, Port Adelaide famously always going to be called the chokers no matter what happens. They need to have a really good hard look at themselves and they need to come out next year and they need to be different. And they, Because this is what happens every year, Piers. We talk about them. Oh, they don't beat anyone in the top eight. They don't beat anyone in the top four. They get to finals and go, oh, they can win it all because they've got two home finals. And then what happens? They disappoint us. They need to not allow Ken, that to happen. What did Ken Hinkley say, mate? He said, uh, don't judge us on our season. Judge us on what happens in finals. This is what's happened in finals. So big judgments uh, coming ahead and... Uh, Interesting views on, on Port Adelaide, and now we put Port Adelaide to bed uh, for the rest of the season and won't speak about them until 2022, and uh, we finish up source. We do, Pez. Uh, we, are you okay with how much I talked about Port Adelaide, or you want me to you want me to keep going about them, or are you okay? I'm glad I'm glad you put a little bit more effort into there. <laughs> um, there's just one more uh, side I do need to mention, and uh, we've already done a season over, so I'm not actually meant to speak about this side source, but I just thought it was really interesting because we've got a really big uh, fan base that do go for this team. Um, ju- just a bit of an update that I saw, and. Uh, the update is off from useless AFL stats, so they're, they're not really useful. But this one is is really, really good one, and a lot of the fans will like it. So this is just a list of AFL players who have won a final in the last, whatever it is, 6,200 and something days <laughs> when they were previously at Essendon. So you've got Orazio Fantasia, who's, who's won a final. You've got Gavin Wanganing previous at Essendon, won a final since Essendon won a final last. Damien Hardwick, a Richmond coach, and not as a coach, as a player for Port Adelaide. <laughs> Ted Richards, Michael Hibbard, Adam McPhee, Jake Carlisle, who's now retired, Basha Hooley, retired, Josh Jenkins even, won a final source. You've got Jake Melksham over at Melbourne, not getting a game. He's won a final. Angus Monfries went over to Port Adelaide, won a final. Paddy Ryder, won a final for Port Adelaide and for St Kilda. And uh, Kepler Bradley as well. Jesus, Pez, you are digging a grave for us, Pez. <laughs> These Essendon fans are going to be coming with pitchfork and fire. Um, 
That, that's a really interesting fact, Pez, because a lot of those players, as you said, had retired and not someone that you connect with are current AFL players for most of them. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's really concerning for, for Essendon. But, Pez, as, as I said in our review in this season over, big, big steps for Essendon next year, and I'm, I'm very hopeful that they can make finals. Um, I thought you were going to call... Don't try and butter up. Don't try and butter up. I'm not trying to butter them up. I, I've made that clear in my thing, but I thought you were going to call out some of the people with our ladder predictions, Pez. All those people that called us out. <laughs> I thought that's what you were going to mention, all those uh, Collingwood fans. No, Collingwood fans are all right. All right. Uh, they knew they were going down the bottom, didn't they? Like us. Apparently not. Yeah, but you get some right, you get some wrong, and, that, and that's what happens with our prediction source. Uh, I'm done for the night, and uh, we uh, will have a Brownlow, Brownlow special <laughs> this week, I think. We'll have a Brownlow uh, special, Pez. For the fourth we'll year in a row, our... we'll mention it, and we actually will try and get it done, because Pez, with the week off... Where there's nothing really to do, so there's no excuses. We're in lockdown. There's no excuses why we cannot have a Brownlow show like we've promised our fans for the last four years. All right, we'll have to have a chat about structure and uh, <laughs> some of the bets that we get out. We'll go through our review and our bet slip on that show as well, source, so we don't have to do it tonight. Uh, enjoyed uh, having a podcast just about Geelong tonight, so uh, I'm out. Uh, I'm Pez. Peace out. I'm still source. We'll catch up next time, guys.